0: If you uh, have a Bible, uh, please don't turn to John chapter 9, uh, and I'll explain why in a moment. But could I ask Sarah and Nicholas and Peter and Mark and Andy to come up here and join me at the front, and if you can kind of make your way to a microphone or a group round a microphone, that would be great. Uh, We have witnessed a lot in the last sort of 45, 50 minutes or so. This has been a very visual service. Uh, And so we have seen pieces of broken bread and we have observed cups of poured out wine. And we have watched as five people were plunged into a pool at the front of church and were baptised. And now we're looking at five people and you're wondering, and maybe they are too, why are we here? But as we come to our Bible reading this morning, the theme of seeing Or not being able to see is right at the heart of the story. In fact, in John chapter 9, blindness and sight are explicitly mentioned in over half of the verses there. John 9 contains a really intriguing story about physical and spiritual blindness. But ultimately, it's a chapter that invites us to consider how we see Jesus who is the light of the world. And so here's what I would like you to do. Now, you don't have to do this. I can't make you do this. But I invite you to do this. I'd like you to close your eyes. Okay? And I'd like you to keep them closed now for the entire reading. Now, for some of you, this is going to be really hard. Okay? But I really want you to try to do this for the entire reading, to experience darkness. To simply listen and to picture Jesus. I can see some of you still looking at me. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind?
1: Neither this man nor his parents sinned,
0: said Jesus.
1: But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg?
0: Some claimed that he was. Others said,
1: No, he only looks like him.
0: But he himself said, I am the man.
1: How then were your eyes opened?
0: They asked. He
1: replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could
0: see. Where is this man?
1: They asked him. I don't know. He said, They
0: brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight.
1: He put mud on my eyes.
0: The man replied.
1: And I washed and now I see.
0: Some of the Pharisees said.
1: This man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked. How can a sinner perform such signs?
0: So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man.
1: What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened.
0: The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received the sight, until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? Why is it that now he can see? We know he is our son. The parents answered.
1: And we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself.
0: His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, He is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned a man who had been blind.
1: Give glory to God and tell the truth. They said, We know this man is a
0: sinner. He replied,
1: Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see.
0: And then they asked him,
1: what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes?
0: He answered,
1: I've told you already, and he did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his
0: disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's
1: disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from.
0: The man answered,
1: Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Tell me, so that I may believe in him.
0: Jesus said,
1: you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one
0: speaking with you. Then the man said,
1: Lord, I believe.
0: And he worshipped him. You can open your eyes. Thanks to Sarah and Mark, Thanks to Peter and Andy. So, what did you see with your mind's eye? What images came to mind? What stood out as you heard or listened to that story? Apart from Jesus, the central figure, there were four others in that story who all saw Jesus or who saw what he had done. And they all seen him quite differently. There was the man himself who had received his sight. Then there were his parents his neighbours, the Pharisees, but before we look at their specific reactions, I want to consider the opening scene in a little detail because it actually throws up a couple of surprises. So if you do now have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 9. It's page 1075 in the Bibles in the pews, and if you could see a copy of this, it would be really handy. But in the opening scene, Jesus comes across a man. And this man turns out to have been blind from birth. And as you read the rest of the story, everybody's agreed in that. There's no doubt about that. But how the disciples see Jesus, or see the man, compared to how Jesus sees him is fascinating. You see, for them, here's a potential object lesson. Here's an unsolved riddle. Rather than a human being in need of love and compassion. And so they ask, well, whose fault's this? What's happened? Why is he like this? Who's to blame? Who sinned, him or his parents? Do you ever do that? Do you ever see someone in need and immediately you begin to look for reasons for their situation? Or you pass a moral judgment on their circumstances? Or you try to explain their condition? Now obviously we would never do that with someone who's physically blind. Our society as compared to this first century context has thankfully got a very different perspective on people born with physical disabilities. But do you ever do that when you come across or read about or see someone on your TV screen who lives with obvious need and obvious challenges and obvious problems? Jesus doesn't. Jesus sees this man very differently. And therefore his reply is interesting. And I'm sure you picked up on this. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now that should send some of our heads spinning. Some of us might want to gently correct Jesus on that one. Surely we've all sinned. And anyone who says they haven't only deceives themselves... And that's true. Because that is explicit biblical teaching. But in terms of this man's blindness, Jesus isn't going there. Jesus isn't wanting to get caught up in the blame game. For Jesus, and what a refreshing perspective this is, this man stands before him blind and in need, So that, and it's there in verse 3, the amazing work of God might be displayed in his life. Please don't miss this. Jesus doesn't see a problem to be explained. Rather, he sees the potential for transformation. Jesus sees an opportunity for God to be seen and God to be exalted in a man's life. And that profoundly challenges how we, how I see and label people. You see, I have got to, and I long to, see people through the eyes of Jesus. As people in whose lives the work of God might be displayed. I'm sure there's so much more I should say on that. But I'm going to move on. The second surprise is not so much in the rather odd medical healing methodology and practice of Jesus, although let's be honest, caking someone's eyes in saliva infused with dirt is strange. The real surprise here for me is that this man doesn't ask, or he doesn't seem to ask, to be healed. Now in other situations where Jesus heals blind people like Bartimaeus, in Mark chapter 10, and the two blind men in Matthew chapter 9, for example, they all seem to have asked for help. Bartimaeus actually says, I want to see. The others say, Lord, have mercy on us. And that's possibly because they all knew who they were dealing with. And so if you read those stories, they actually address Jesus as the son of David. Here, there's no record of a request to be healed. And as far as this man's concerned, he's virtually no clue who Jesus is. Because if you look at verse 11, he says, The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Two comments I want to make about that. And I love this. And I find this so hopeful because this suggests to me That Jesus can be and often is at work in our lives and in the lives of those around us, even when we and they don't ask for it. And that is so reassuring. And secondly, this suggests that you can encounter Jesus with next to no knowledge of him. Our understanding of Jesus doesn't limit his ability to work in our lives. And if you're here this morning, and you're unsure of what has gone on, and you're unsure of who exactly Jesus is, then what I'd love you to take from this story is the reality that Jesus can meet you where you're at. And then he can enable you to discover more about him. And he can lead you to that point in your life where you surrender to him, which is this man's story. Before we get there, let's look at the reaction of the others. See, the first group that we read about, in verse 8, the first group we read about who notice a change in this man are his neighbours. And as you can imagine, they're surprised. In fact, they're so surprised that some of them say, Look, it's not it's not the same man at all. Some say it only looks like him, it's not him. And even when the man identifies himself and says, Listen, I am your neighbour. They have put so many questions. How did this happen? Where is this Jesus? There's clearly an element of scepticism, and so they decide to go and ask more questions, and so they go and speak to the establishment. And you see, there's no doubt that many people today react to Jesus and what he has done and is doing in other people's lives in exactly this way. They're skeptical. Maybe you are. Maybe you've come here this morning and you've observed, and you've seen these people, and you're a little sceptical. And you're not convinced about it all. And you need more answers, and that's perfectly okay. But let me urge you to keep searching. Keep an open mind, but be incredibly careful who you go to as you seek your answers. Because the second group who react to the pharisees the local religious leadership and their reactions deeply disappointing although it was probably predictable because after hearing the man's simple story verse 15 here's a story this man jesus he put mud in my eyes i washed and now i see but instead of recognizing a reality they get caught up in the rules And that's because all this has happened on the Sabbath and therefore that creates all sorts of problems for people who are hung up on what you can and can't do at certain times and on certain days. And so rather than see this man as an amazing example of a transformed life, or to see Jesus as he really is, they're blinkered. Because you see, Jesus doesn't fit into their system. And so they are convinced, according to verse 16, listen, he's not from God. In fact, worse still, they label him a sinner. They totally misread Jesus. Completely misunderstand him. Despite being religious, they don't acknowledge him. They won't acknowledge him. He's not what they expected. He's too radical. He's unpredictable. He's uncontainable. He's uncomfortable. And so they refuse to accept him as anyone from God as a miracle worker. And again, that still happens today. Deeply religious people who miss reality. The reality that is Jesus. And so they end up blinkered and distracted by a whole bunch of rules and regulations, and sadly, they miss the point. But it's not fair to write the group off entirely because it says at the end of 16 they're actually divided. In other words, it implies some of them are not totally entrenched. And so the Pharisees decide, let's send for another group. Let's gauge some more reaction. And so they summons the man's mum and dad. And the Pharisees ask his parents, listen, is this your son? Is this the one who was born blind? And if it is, how come he can see? And the parents are clearly impressed with what's happened. And they confirm his identity. They confirm that he was born blind. They confirm that he now can see. But regarding how this happened, they're unsure. But they suggest a way forward. And this is a brilliant stroke of genius. They say to the Pharisees, why don't you ask him? You see, as we all know, it's really hard to argue with personal testimony. You can debate the details, you can analyse the facts, you can discuss the way you see it and understand it all you like, and there is a place for that. But at the end of the day, when someone encounters Jesus, who changes their life, and they tell their story, it's pretty hard, or at very least, it's incredibly cold to simply dismiss their reality. See, Ralph, Karen, Bennett, Anita, and Peter have all stood before us this morning. And they have dramatically told us their story. And they could verbalize it to you afterwards, if only you would ask them. And although you may not fully understand it, and you may even want to challenge it, the truth is, it's their story. Jesus has changed and is changing their lives. And you can go and ask their neighbors about that. And their colleagues and their friends, you might even want to go and ask their parents. And some of them are here this morning. But see, whatever you do, don't forget to go and ask them. Ask them. And the Pharisees do. They take up the parents' advice and they go and question the man again. But it's abundantly clear, listen, we've made our minds that we're set in our ways. We're not prepared to listen to his story. In fact, the more they hear of his story, the more they get annoyed to the point where they turn aggressive. They verbally assault him and they just throw him out in his ear. And that's extreme, although it's not extraordinary because there are still Christians today who ever, whenever they tell their story find themselves subject to verbal abuse and rejection and even in some cases, physical assault. You see, some people just can't cope with Jesus. Just can't cope with what Jesus is doing in people's lives, and so they react negatively. But I want to just conclude by thinking about the man himself. Because after Jesus met him, met him where he was at, and started to work in his life, this man's understanding of Jesus increased, and it expanded, and his faith grew until it reached a critical point. And it started here. Just with this basic acknowledgement of a man called Jesus a real man. Do you believe that? There was a man called Jesus. And then a story progresses. Because he's able to identify in verse seventeen do you know something? He's a prophet. It's clearly further revelation, further insight at some level. But it's still very much a developing faith this man has because in verse 25 he admits that he doesn't actually know whether Jesus is a sinner or not. But the one thing he does know, according to verse 25, is this I was blind. But now I see. And the reality of his experience is beyond question, but his understanding of Jesus is still incomplete. And if the story had ended there with him lying on the sidewalk, expelled from the synagogue, that would be tragic. But again, Jesus comes to meet him where he's at and asks him a very direct question Do you believe in the Son of Man? And whoever that is, or whatever that might be, is definitely worth discovering. And whenever Jesus actually reveals, That's me. It's me. Then the man reaches a key point in his life because he comes to a moment of surrender and he just says, Lord, I believe. And then it says he worshipped him. Doesn't mean his journey of faith is over, but it's reached a milestone. His progression of faith is incredible. Incredible. He now doesn't just see Jesus physically, and that's amazing. But he sees Jesus spiritually. This once dark life has been invaded by and transformed by the light of the world. And you see, that is who Jesus is. That is how we must see him. Because in verse 5, that's how Jesus identifies himself. I am The light of the world. And in John 9, a man discovered that. Ralph has discovered that. Karen has discovered that. Bennett has discovered that. Anita has discovered that. Peter has discovered that. And our prayer and our hope is that you are here this morning. For whatever reason. But that you would also see not just Jesus in a new light although that would be great but to see Jesus as the light of the world who can open your eyes and will then invite you to worship him light of the world you step down into darkness you open my eyes and now I can see and so here I am to worship